0: One word up there. There's my lesson for tonight. I could probably just sit down and uh, go with that. That one word is L O S T, that's lost. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's actually a, a TV show by that name. Maybe if I gave you a picture of it, you'd probably remember. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's about twelve people. How many disciples were there, by the way? 12. Those 12 people that were called disciples were also lost, and uh, Jesus called them and He said, come follow me, and uh, they did. Those 12 people changed the world. They were lost and then they were found. I don't know about that show. I don't really know a whole lot, so I had to look it up, and here's what it says. An oce- after an oceanic air flight, 815 tears apart in midair and crashes on a Pacific island on September 22nd. That's my birthday, so that's a good date. 2004. That's the year I was born, too. It's survivors are forced to find inner strength, but they never knew. They had a- They had to find inner strength. They never knew they had in order to survive. <laughs> wow. But they discovered that the island holds many secrets, including the mysterious... Smoke Monster. Anybody seen this show? I never have. I'm sorry. You know, Maybe you know all about it. So just bear with me here while I I had to look it up. Uh, polar Bears. you got a smoke monster, a polar bear, housing with electricity, hot and cold running water, a group of island residents as the others. And there's a mysterious man on that island and he was called uh, Jacob. The survivors also found they got signs that came to the island, including a 19th century sailing ship called the Black Rock. There's a picture of the Black Rock. Actual ship, huh? And the ruins of an ancient statue as well as the bunkers belong to the Dharma Initiative, a group of scientific researchers who inhabited the island in the recent past. These guys are lost on the island. If you were really lost on an island, how tough would you... Uh, Try to get off the island? Well, I can answer that for most of us. There was a television show that wasn't called Lost, it's called Gilligan's Island, and they said it was a three hour tour, and they showed up for a three hour tour that lasted about seven years. And every time that they tried to get off, this guy called Gilligan would spoil it for them. You know, they'd have a mirror like this to signal the plane, and Gilligan would trip and crack the mirror and break it, and I would have probably cracked Gilligan and broke him after a while because he, he kept him on that island for almost a decade. They couldn't get off, but they wanted to get off, so the professor would try to make electricity and do all this stuff. And uh, you compare that to a movie called Robinson Crusoe, and the family that got on this island, they wanted to get off for a while, and people would attack them, and they would sort of fight back. And at the last, the ship finally showed up. And I don't know if you remember the end of that show, or the end of that movie. The mom, the dad, the son, two sons, and the. Uh, future wife all decided to do something. Stay on the island. They didn't want to be rescued. Wow. So yeah, the Swiss family Robinson, you know, like Robinson Crusoe. They just decided to stay. Swiss family Robinson, you know, Disney movie. So, Gillingham's Island can't wait to get off. They just soon not be found. And this show, Lost, while all this information may sound interesting, they tell you that these guys had to find a way to survive, but they would have probably taken a ticket to get off the island. And... The fact remains that they were lost. Now, would they want to get off? Yeah, I would think so. And you've seen the show, so you know a lot more about it than I do. All these people are lost, can't really do anything about it, and they feel desperate. Just a minute ago we sang a song, I'm desperate for you. These guys are desperate to get off. God, yeah, if you just give us a chance, we want to get off this island. Well, i got news for you you ever feel like you're starring on this show? Because some of you don't have to raise a hand. I'm just letting God do the talking. He just has to be letting me be a mouthpiece. you ever feel like you're on this show that you're desperate and you think, well, I I hate school, I hate mom and dad, they hate me, my brothers hate me, I just hate, oh, God is a God of love, and we got that much in us. As a matter of fact, if we think that we're like that, we feel like we're starring in this show. I hate school, I wish I didn't have to go, I wish I could just go find a place to hide someplace. And instead, you don't have to be starring in that show. You say, I don't? Now this would probably be you and me if we'd really stop and take advantage of the God that we have. Because there are some people in the Bible that live in a tough situation and yet they can do all right. Elijah who said he wanted to fight the the guys, he said, Mount Carmel, I'm going to have a showdown. We're going to fight Baal because no one stands up for God except me. And if he would have only known... There was a guy that uh, there were 650 people that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. There's more people out there than... So how do some people just make it all right in a situation? You never can tell. God might just show up. It's sort of like a little test. What if he came to your school and he says, I'm looking for some bright students, looking for some people, not bright, intelligent-wise, but just as a beacon of light. And I want them to shine. You never can tell who, when somebody might show up. I thought this was a neat uh, little story. This is a guy named 10-year-old... Uh, Charles, 10-year-old Charles. School was out for Christmas. The family had chosen to spend the holiday in the country. The boy pressed his nose against the bay window of the vacation home. They marvel at the British winter. He was happy to trade the blackened streets of London for this common, white, freshness of snow. He loved the snow-covered hills. His mom invited him to go for a drive, and he quickly accepted because he loved to get outside. Hmm... A moment was in the making that he would uh, not forget. She snaked the car down the twisty road. The tires crushed the snow. The boy puffed his breath on the wind. But he was thrilled. The mother, however, was anxious because the road looked slick. Heavy snow began to fall. Disability lessened. As she took the curve, the car started to slide and didn't stop until it was in a ditch. She tried to drive out. The tires just spun. Little Charlie pushed with his mom pressing the gas, but no luck. They were just stuck and they needed help. A mile down the road was a farmhouse. So off they went and they knocked on the door and they said, Can we come inside just for a few moments and get out of the snow? And we'd like to use the phone. And the woman who answered the door said, Of course. The woman said, Please come in. Warm yourselves. The phone is yours. Anything I have here is yours. I wonder why she was acting so friendly. Maybe she was just a beacon of light, like I was telling you about. She offered tea and cookies and urged them to stay until help arrived. And you say, well, what big deal? It's just an ordinary event. Well, don't suggest that to the woman who opened the door that day because she's never forgotten that day. She's retold a story a thousand times and who could blame her? It's not often that only a person knocks on the door, but not just a person royalty knocks on the door because that 10-year-old Charlie was Prince Charles and the mama that had gotten stuck in the snow was Queen Elizabeth. And so when they knocked on the door and said, can we use your phone and come in for a while, she's staring at the Queen of England and the future King of England and Prince Charles right beside her and says, please come in. And she curtsies and comes, brings him into the house. Now, would you think that God would actually pay a visit. And you say, well, he doesn't come to earth. He's going to come back one day for all those that are redeemed. But the Bible says we entertain angels unawares. She stopped her busy day to entertain the Queen of England. You said, well, I'd do that too. Would you stop your busy day to um, to help somebody in need? You say, well, I would. No, I don't know. I'm not that busy. Okay, you got another story, and then I'll give you the, the Bible lesson for tonight. Listen carefully to this. I love this story, but you're going to find a surprise in it. Listen for the surprise. So Prince Charles was helped that day by a lady. Let me tell you something about Dave Manzer. He's going to help somebody. Dave Manzer considered himself lucky. Most other people would have considered him crazy. He had a lifelong dream of climbing Mount Everest. So here's what happened. Changed his life. He stood within a two-hour hike of the summit of Mount Everest. A thousand feet from realizing a lifelong dream, he had made it up this far, he only had a thousand feet to go. Every year, the fittest adventurers on earth set their sights on a 29,000 foot peak. You think going up to the boy's cabin is tough? 29,000 feet, probably got that boy's cabin beat. It, about 18 feet. Every year, some people do some things that would surprise you. In an effort to climb the mountain, they die. Every year, people die in this effort. You say, that's crazy. I never do it. Wait a minute. The top of Everest isn't known for its hospitality. Climbers call the realm above the 26,000 feet the death zone. They become lost. Now, if you're climbing up this mountain and you become lost in that area, you know who comes and gets you? Nobody. Nobody. You can just die. Well, that's cruel. Let's go back to you at your school. People are walking around lost around you and you don't care well that's different okay you can tell me after chapel's over how that's different because it's not temperatures hover below zero sudden blizzards steer blinding snow the oxygen is just starved out of that the atmosphere doesn't have any corpses dot the mountaintop a British climber had died ten days prior to Manzer's attempt forty climbers who could have helped chose not to help that man and he died they walked past him on their way to the top you ever think that describes life? Oh yeah, I can't stop and help you. God, just show me somebody to be kind to today, and I want to be Christ-like. Can you help me? No. God, show me somebody. That was your chance right there, and you missed it. Little old lady across street, would you help me? No. God, show me somebody. He is showing you somebody. The four hundred year old lady that lives across from me needs a yard mode. Or somebody at your school needs to be maybe tutored a little bit. You think, well, I don't take time for that. How about your brother or sister in your own house could use something? help? Just take a little bit of time for people. This man surprises me. Everest can be cruel. Manzer felt lucky, though, that day. He and two colleagues were within eyesight of the top. Years of planning had come to fruition right here. Six weeks of climbing. Six weeks. It was now 730, 7.30 AM excuse me, May twenty fifth, two thousand six. The air was still, morning sun brilliant, energy and hopes are high. And that's when a flash of color caught Manzur's eye. A bill of yellow fabric was on the top of a ridge. He first thought it was a tent. He soon saw it was a person. How would you be dressed if you were up here on Mount Everest? Yeah, you'd have a lot of coats on exactly. Anybody else? Yes. I have a really heavy coat, like three shirts and two So, you got a lot of shirts, a lot of pants, a lot of jackets on. Bright color. Bright color so people can spot you. That's a good idea because that bright yellow caught this man's eye. Okay, waterproof boots and all that. You know what this man's got on? He doesn't have a shirt on. Doesn't have a coat, doesn't have a shirt. He's just walking around. And by. Okay, you go, just example, but he's got a coat and tie. I mean, shirt and tie. This guy doesn't have a shirt on at all. He's just walking around. You say, well, that guy's crazy. You know what? You're right. Because at that altitude, when you start up here losing oxygen, you know what you'll start doing? Hallucinating. So he's walking out on a little ridge that he can follow his death. Doesn't even have a shirt on. No gloves. He's about ready to just kill over. Man's spots are Jackets unzipped. Hands exposed. Chest bare. Oxygen deprived. It can, his brain's swelling. He's starting to see things. Hallucinations. Manzer knew that this man had no idea where he was, so he walked toward him and he called out and he said, Can you tell me your name? Yes, the man answered. I'm I'm Lincoln Hall. Manzer was shocked. He recognized the name just 12 hours earlier down before he had started climbing that day. He had heard the news on the radio that Lincoln Hall was dead. His team had left his body on the slope to die, and yet here he was, walking around without a shirt on. And yet after spending the night in 20 below chill and oxygen-stained air, Lincoln Hall was still alive. Manzoor was face-to-face face with a miracle. He is also face-to-face face with a choice. A rescue attempt to going to have profound risk. He couldn't get him back down the hill. It would be tough if he did. The descent was already treacherous, even more so with dead weight of a dying man on your hands. Besides, how long would Hall survive? No one knew that. Three climbers might su- sacrifice her everest thought. They had to choose. Do we abandon this lifelong dream or do we go get Lincoln Hall? I've been six years in training. I've almost a thousand feet. I can look and see the top. Why do you have to be dying in front of me, Lincoln Hall? And he turned around and he told his three friends, we either get to tackle this mountain or we get to help this man who's lost. I know, and that's what they did. They went and helped Lincoln Hall. And they took him back down. And, um, well, I'll save the end of that story. You just remind me at the end. You don't have to be unhappy. I want you to check a couple of examples from the Bible tonight. And this is found in Luke. Would you find Luke? Let's check a couple of examples from the Bible tonight. And I have a feeling if God would uh, have a TV show, He wouldn't call it lost. He'd probably change the name to it. He'd probably call it found. And um, I don't know whether you would like to be in this story or not, but I'm going to ask you to be one of these three people. This is found in Luke chapter 15. Three things. You can either get to be a sheep. It's your choice. You can be a coin, a coin or you can be a fun. In Luke chapter 15, now, Luke chapter 15, here's the story. These three people are going to look for three things. And if it's an easy task to find, I guess they'd probably do it, but it's not an easy task. I'm going to tell you something that uh, might surprise you about each one of these. First of all, Sheep. Just tell you a little something about sheep. Sheep or stubborn. Sheep or stubborn. I'll tell you something about coins. This coin that fell on the floor was a drachma. And that's a Roman coin that's equivalent to the denarius, which is a Greek. So denarius is like a day's wage. So this coin that she lost would be like If you may if you worked eight hours today and got five dollars an hour, you just lost a forty dollar coin. You're probably gonna look for this thing. Well if you dropped it here on the concrete and it's a nice shiny gold coin, that's great. Well, this is sort of like brown and it's dropped on the dirt floor. Chances are where this woman lives, she's just now dropped it'd be like dropping a penny on the dirt floor. So she's gotta sweep this entire floor to find this coin. Sheep go hide behind rocks and trees, coins hide in the dirt. And the prodigal son He doesn't want you to find him. The coin cannot think. I understand that. But just for a minute, I'm not being silly. Before I give you this, can you think of how some people that um, if you were lost on this island that we started talking about, if you were lost on an island, I wrote down about five things. Don't speak. Just raise your hand if you vote for this. Number one, would you stand and wave your arms frantically if a plane went over? Would you stand and wave your arms? Okay, that's first group. Number two, would you sit down and wave at the plane going over? A few of you. Number three, these guys, you lay down. Just watch the plane. It's good. You're laying down. Y'all don't plan to get your rescue, do you? Nope. Okay, I got two worse than that. You see, that's pretty lazy. So you got some people going. When the plane goes over, I have a feeling that they'd probably go.
1: I'm lost. Would you help
0: me? <sighs> we got to light something fire. Come here. Got your little brother. Cut him in tar. <laughs> Look. Hold your brother up. He's on fire, and oh, he didn't stop again. <laughs> brother sitting there charred. You go next. You know, that's like a, <laughs> Change is good. You go first. Okay. Would you try to? Yeah, light a fire, hold up our arms frantically. Some people wouldn't do that. Some people would sit down. Some people might even lie down. i got two groups worse than that though. You think you're lazy lying down? Some people would hide. Here comes a plane. <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm talking about us. The plane's Jesus Christ. He's not in the air, but God did send him from heaven. And he comes over and you got some people that say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. And God says, can't hardly get there fast enough for this guy. He's jumping up to heaven. And Then you got other people. God, would you save me? I'm gonna sit down right here. God. Oh, great. And then you got other people. God, I'm lost. And God would add, "You're stupid," but he doesn't. He's too kind to say that. And then you got other people. Here comes God. Nobody do that. Well, tell Adam and Eve when you make it to heaven, because that's what they do as they sin, God says, "Adam, where are you?" E- Shh, get down. God's looking for us. He's he, he made this garden. He knows every step of it. He made Adam. He made us. I can hear y'all talking over there. Shh, he's going. Adam, <laughs> and they're hiding from God. Oh, it's like playing hide and go seek with Superman. <laughs> I see you. I know you always do. And you just walk out, you know you're here. I see y'all. i got a group worse than this. Well, they're hiding. How can you get any worse than that? Check Jonah's life. What did Jonah do? He ran. He not only hides when God finds him, he takes off. He got the... Jonah! John. Oh, there he goes again. Now, can you imagine a sheep doing that little baby lamb? Here's the shepherd, the good shepherd Jesus. He's got a hundred sheep and he... Uh, Got to rest. He puts them in a circle. I love this. This is John 10. He puts the lambs in a circle and he leaves a little passageway open and he lays down in that passageway because, see, back then they had a little stone wall about this tall and it would be a circle, almost, had a little area. He'd put his sheep inside it. The sheep were protected by the wall. Well, what was the door? He was. He would lay in the door because he said, I am the door. No man coming to the Father but by me. So the shepherd would lay in the door and if a lion or a bear or whatever tried to get into his sheep, he'd stand up and fight him because his sheep were behind him. Now, can you imagine he puts all his sheep in that little circle for the night and he turns around and goes, one of them's gone. Well, For you to even know one of the hundred's gone, you're amazing. They said people over in the, especially in the Mideast, when they call, her, they'll get thousands of sheep together and they'll go. And the shepherd goes, come! And all at once the sheep separate and his will come right over next to him. Little woolly lamb and he hangs right on him. I'm glad you're here. But where's, let's see, there's John, Bruce. Where's Jackie? Y'all guys seen Jackie? Oh, he always wanders off. It's like those kids at camp down in Tennessee. They, w- oh, I'm sorry. And then he wonders You guys stay here. I gotta go hunt for him. You tell me if God doesn't care about lost things. He's gonna leave these ninety and nine and go get the one that's lost. Well, sure we'll miss Jackie. No, he doesn't say that. So he goes over to the bank and he looks down and. Jackie's down the cliff, looks up. Y'all hang on. And he starts climbing down this hill. Come here. Puts him right there. Hang on. And he climbs back up and gets all the way back up to the top. You know what I'm going to do to you? I love you don't wander off no more you got to stay right here they even tell me this what shepherds sometimes do this and I used to think this was cruel break your legs yeah so they wouldn't run away you say oh, break your legs that's cruel I'd rather have my leg broke than die because these guys keep wandering off they're going to fall off that cliff eventually so he'll have to break away now I'm not a shepherd but Jesus went to some extent to save that lamb this is John this is Luke chapter fifteen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to have you know to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, <laughs> I can just see it's always somebody in the corner talking about This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> How are you gonna win sinners if you don't go spend time with them? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you... See, he, he's saying this parable because they say, Why do you eat with sinners? Why do you go there with those lost people? Tell you what, let me tell you a story. Okay. She's going to prove a point with a story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, remember what we did him in together, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Someone told me the other night they got saved here at camp that made angels sing in heaven. See, some of us don't even think of those things. This Bible's real. If you don't believe it, then I don't know why we're here. So if it's real, you just now told me angels sing in heaven. Yeah, they did when I got saved. The day you got saved, angels sang for you. You know why? Because And when this shepherd comes back over, what a tender moment. He comes back up. All these little lambs are jumping up around him. Two things. They they love the shepherd. What else did they love? They love the brother. Yeah, this is their brother. that you know, over. put him down, put him down. So, okay, yeah, and they just jump like, hey, all right. And they just go over. And Jesus goes, 'Cause so he's rescued me like that. I thought you were saved when you were eight years old. I was. And I got up into high school and I took cussing as a foreign language, two years of it. And then I learned to do things, you know, let me try drinking at the Pizza Hut. Let's try to drink a beer and think I'll bomb it. You know, it's like And I can do it I can recall doing a few dumb things. And then God come down over the bank and got me, puts me on his back and goes, Didn't know how long he was going to be gone. And he comes back and he says. Anybody ever been away from God for a short time in your Christian walk? Now, you don't have to start crying, but you ought to have tears somewhere close to that heart. He come and got you over a rough rough bank. He come and got help for you. He was your help. Wow. I never thought of it that way. I mean, saving you is enough. But He didn't just save you. He wants to use you. And if you keep crawling over the bank, He's got to come get you. Now, I'm going to make you think of this picture because the next time you see it, I hope you'll think of it. Every time he crawls over the bank to get you, he scratches his legs. He gets briars in his face. When he comes back up, he puts you down, and you take off running. He turns around blood blood's running down his legs. You mean I hurt him every time I see him? Yes. Yeah. Wow. My mom was sick in the hospital. She had a car wreck. They didn't expect her to live. This has been years ago because she's in heaven now. But she was in this car wreck, and I, I was back, and I was probably, you know, about 18 or 19. I was in the first year of college, and... uh I probably was a little vocal, and I shouldn't have been. I've learned to tone down some, but my mom was in a, I was up at the bowling alley, bowling that night, and a call came and said, we've got to get you back to Giles County. Your mom's been in a car wreck. My mom had come down off of the hill. She swerved to miss a dog. Car went over the bank, tumbled a couple of times, crushed in the top. My little sister, Melanie, was three years old. She's bouncing all around in the car. <laughs> Gets a scratch right here, and that's the only thing that she was hurt. It's a miracle. That's what I thought too. The battery came up out of the car and was hanging on the outside, but it's still attached so that the lights are shining. The car's down in a little bit of a ravine. Cars that come along on the road on top would look and they can't see it. It would take a pickup truck this high so when people are sitting up, all to see the car. Guess what comes by? Pickup truck. Truck stops, goes down, and finds my mom in the car, my sister. My mom was going to the laundromat at the time. Well, sure, I guess it wasn't working. When the car flipped, she said there was closing trees and everything. trunk came open, hoods up, you know, everything. And she said Melanie was crying because it was dark. She's three. And she said, come over here. And Melanie crawls over to her and just hangs on to her. That's like a lamb. I love that picture again. You're just hanging on to somebody you love, and they love you. car truck comes by, gets them, takes them. Melanie's fine. A little stretch. She took, I think, three stitches in her wrist, and that was it. My mom, on the other hand, broke about seven ribs, broke a hip, misplaced a kneecap. Fluid filling up on her lungs. And when I got down to the hospital, I still remember uh, a classmate of mine in high school, Miles Helton, was going to drive me down there. He had this souped-up Camaro, and for once I didn't care if he drove fast. And we took an hour trip, and we made it in 20 minutes because we got into the hospital. I thought we were going to need a hospital by the time Miles got me there. But anyway, I walked in the door, and I went up, and I thought, where's my mom? And uh, if somebody's in a car wreck that bad, they're going to be in intensive care. Everybody agree with that? Intensive care. She's in a regular room when I got there. That made me a little bit angry. So I came up and thought, where's my mom? Well, she's in a room right there. She's not in intensive care. She's not even in an emergency room. I'm, I'm going to go back and find her. I walked through the halls, went in there. My mom's like, oh. she reached out, squeezing my hands, like, I'm having a tough time breathing. I'll be right back. I'm going to go find a doctor somewhere. I went by, and my father happens to be out there in the hall And I'm going by, and he catches my mom, and he says, Hey, says, where are you going? I'm going to go get a doctor. She's in, she's dying. And remember, she's not everybody's mom. And with all due respect to my daddy, I turned and I said, But she's mine. I went down the steps, found the doctor. He looked like a white coat guy got him by the arm said you can come with me you're hurting my arm I- I'm going to hurt more than your arm here in a second <laughs> I took him down to the sta- I walked up went past the nurse's station they're looking like what are you doing I- I'm hurting him <laughs> I said I want you to come see my mom we've looked at your mom you need to look at her again my dad's like I went right past and went right into the room I said you look at her and tell me where she ought to be Within about five minutes, he comes out to the nurse's station. And they've already told me, we can't help your mom. He comes out to the nurse's station and said, this woman needs to be in intensive care immediately. Why did I do that? Well, two things. Because I loved her and I ordered one. Because, see, when I was born, they said that I wouldn't live. And my mom, she rolls in and says, something's wrong with the baby. And they sent her back home. And mom says, ah, something's just wrong. They didn't know it at the time of her kidneys were backing up and poison was going into the body, and that, that's going into, it's affecting the baby. And my mom went in. They said, oh, I'll go on back home. She's probably crazy. I can just imagine doctors talking about her. She goes back, comes back again in a couple hours and says, yeah, I've got to check. Sure, okay. You know, doctors can be that way sometimes. They took my mom in and checked, and sure enough, hey, she's right. Your kidneys are backing up with poison. And we've waited too late and the baby's dead. That's what they told my mom. My mom says, Well, I know better. She's rescuing something that's lost here, so to speak, with the world. No hope for me? That's what doctors said. My mom would later tell me she could look over and see doctors standing in the corner, going, like mm. so just point out she's crazy. She thinks the baby's still alive. There's no way that baby could be alive. I'm that baby. And as I grew up, my mama would say, "God saved you, so you'd be something special." So not a well, I've, I've outgrown the doctors, <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I could have went back, and my mom would have probably said, because she was Christ-like, she would have said, yeah, "Don't argue with them, or don't." That's not her point. But my mama was the only person in that room that believed in me. Everybody else hadn't given up on me. And so when I was born, and here I am kicking and screaming. By the way, uh, I will tell you. See, you don't even know a lot about Edgar Moser. So I'll give you a little secret. It's okay. You can either like me or dislike me. The more you know about me, my teeth will never be a dazzling white. You say, oh, how come? Okay, when your teeth are formless, pretend like enamel's coating your teeth, and it's, it's an inch thick. It's not loose. Pretend with. If enamel's an inch, te- an inch thick on your tooth, whoosh, my enamel's about a quarter of an inch. Cause when that fever hit with the poison in my body. The enamel goes, and it stopped. So on the back part of my teeth, the enamel's going up, the enamel's coming down, and it goes, and it stops. There's a little gap right there. So every time I put my tongue in the back of my mouth, I can feel the enamel and think of my mama because that was when the high fever hit. The enamel stops. and the dentist looks up. Did you ever have a high fever when you're before you were born? Yeah. What happened? Well, God had plans for me. Okay, I'm witnessing because of my teeth. And then they need that they know all about you, and yet, so when that stops, I should have died right there. I'm here. I all that to say simply this: My mama had faith in me, only one in the room believes in me, but here I am. I thank God it I hope I believe in you. I hope Uncle Paul, I hope your counselor say oh, I believe in you, but some of you don't feel very special. matter of fact, you'd feel like I could start in that movie Lost. I don't feel like I do. I'm going to give you hope today. You pick one of these. If you're a little lamb, I think God would come after you. Why? Because you're lost. Well, what difference does that make to Him? Then you need to look up a verse that 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. His whole purpose of coming to earth is to come get you. And now, well, I don't know which category you're in. Maybe you're standing there going, God, please save me. Could be. If God just showed up on this island and all of us are on this island, which is lost, wonder how many of us would run and meet Him and say, Jesus, I knew You'd come after me. Hallelujah. And then you've got some of them are sitting on the beach fishing. Hey, Jesus, I need you to be here. Wow. <laughs> then you've got others, that and they're asleep. Oh, Jesus is here. <laughs> Hot dog. And then He starts looking around and some of you are hiding behind trees. And then some of you over the bank. So you mean you don't want to be found? Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. There it is again. And finally, the one that you know the most often. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them and gave it to him. By the way, that's extremely rare right there. The younger one said to his father, does that mean the older one didn't get any inheritance? That means the younger one's going to get the inheritance before the older one does. That just doesn't happen too often, but the man gave it to him. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off on a distant country and there squandered his wealth and while living. We'd call that partying today. I teach driver's education. I love it when people say, yeah, I got wasted last weekend. I said, no perfect more word could fit you. Wasted. That's what you do with your life. Yeah, I'm cool. I'll party. Now I can't say what I think, because remember, I'm a nice guy. I think, what a moron, you know. You think you're really partying? This is life. Yeah, I don't even remember where I was yesterday. Well, i I tell you what, I can just crack in and hit the hammer and you can get amnesia and we can have the same effect and you can save the money from the alcohol. I don't even know where I am. I'm having trouble right now, you know, and they're sitting in a driver's ed class wanting to drive a car. <laughs> and they want you to treat them like they're mature. And guys, why do y'all party? And I like this. Well, I, I was drink I mean, I got a friend that was drinking. Go ahead. We know it was you. Uh, oh, what's wrong with drinking? I'm glad you asked. You know, the Bible, let me give you a couple verses. Oh, they wouldn't have done that. So I just stick a little overhead up. It says, when you drink, let me give you this little poem. I told them that before. I put a poem up there that talks about wine as a strong mocker and it makes fun of people. And after people drink... It says, a guy, picture a guy on the top of a boat going like this, just rocking back and forth in the mast. It would make you sick. They said, why it make you sick sometimes. And they said, they can't wait until he goes to sleep passes out so he can wake up and guess what? Do it all over again. And they said, man, that's true, you know. Sometimes we hate it when we're getting sick, and then we pass out and then I can't. And then we do it again the next week. And you know what? That made me think, Where, where's that poem come from? I don't tell them, I'm Proverbs 23. Who would have believed with him in this book? So, you mean, yeah, this boy right here is partying. Is he drinking? I think so. And y'all don't have to be an Einstein to figure out. He took a lot of his money, went out and started partying, drinking, doing what people do today. His money ran out, and guess what left right after that? His friends. Yeah, we love you. Money's gone. See ya! <laughs> okay. They left him. There was a severe famine. He squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country which sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, if you're a detective here, you just now picked up, let's be like a Mr. Monk. We've got to figure out a little detail right here you would have missed. What is his job? What nationality is he? He's Jewish. Pigs are unclean animals. He hates this. Now, I don't want you to miss what I'm trying to say to you, that he picked the job that he would never really want to do. Pigs, ooh, they're nasty. Guess what you get to do? See, some people, if they worked at a hotel, and I'm with the manager, I'm say, I'm going to give you a job. Oh, I just hope he doesn't give me this job I hated. I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you work the front desk. Oh, that's a job I hate. I can't talk to people, I' get nervous and all like. It. I'd rather clean out toilets and clean out bathrooms and vacuum halls and work at front desk. You get to work the front desk. Oh, why are you doing this to me? It changes you, right? So sometimes God will give you the job that you hate. you got a Jewish person feeding pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything to eat. He's starving to death. I like his next phrase. You can underline that in your Bibles. If you haven't underlined a whole lot, that's worth it. Verse 17, When he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. He said, How many of my fathers, I don't know how many days he's been out there, slop up to his knees, (laughs) pigs coming by and bumping him in the leg, and he just says, I'm miserable. And there goes one of his friends, you know, he used to party with (toddick) honks. You know, that's what he feels like now. I'm down here in slop and you're out there running around on me. Where's your friendship now? Oh, your money's gone. So he continues to, and he finally comes to his senses. and He just goes over and probably just falls down and says, God, how many of my servants, my father's servants, How many of my father's hired men or servants have food to spare? And here I am, starved to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. The first night I spoke to you, I talked about running. You're going to see somebody running right here. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I bet you his son is just crying. He's weeping. Tears run down his face. He says, Dad, what are you doing? Well, I love you. <sighs> I've stolen your money, basically. I've went and squandered it and I've made a misery of myself. I've made a miserable state of my life. What do you even love me for? He gives him the answer. But the father said to his servants, when the son, son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Let's check out what Luke Luke 19.10 says. Luke 19.10 says you'll find out the truth that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and to think this is for you and me. Somebody read that verse loud and clear. Yes. Son. So you mean, let me get this right because I don't want to miss this. Are you going to leave and say, oh, chapel wasn't for me? If you're lost, Jesus came to earth just for you. Well, that's not true. Well, then call the Bible a liar. But it's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible is the written word, Jesus is the living word. He came to earth for you. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. You're the lambs. I'll crawl down over the bank. I'll go to the ends of the earth to meet you. I'll run to get you. You know, sometimes when they're in the terrible tooth and this little kid takes off, and it's sort of, you think, boy, he should be But isn't it didn't need to the mom or dad will grab him and <laughs> got to come get him. Jesus does that, does He? Comes and grabs us, it's like, gotta hang on there. You. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. You mean He left uh, a high place to, just to come get us? Yeah. Back to my story. This man left a high place. It's called Mount Everest. He's got a thousand feet to reach a lifelong dream, and yet Lincoln Hall's lying. <laughs> he's dying, really. Walking around, no shirt on. Just give him about another five minutes. He's gonna fall off a cliff and freeze to death matter of fact did you miss this you you probably did where are Lincoln Hall's friends they're down at the bottom of the summit why are they leaving he was dying dying. we don't want to mess with him so his friends leave him and total strangers stop to help him you might get a little bit convicted uh, when you hear this because I'm going to talk about you so please heads up right here here's your Mazur was shocked. He recognized his name. Twelve hours early, he had heard the news on the radio when Lincoln Hall was dead. And yet after spending that night in sub-20 below zero, oxygen-stingy air, Lincoln Hall was still alive. He was forced to come face-to-face with a choice. What would he do? They chose to abandon their dream. The three turned their backs on the peak and they reached they inched their way over the mountain until they found Lincoln Hall. Their decision to save Hall's life steers a great question. Would we do the same? Would we go help people who are lost? Surrender ambition to save someone else? Set aside what I want to do to help somebody else? Now listen carefully because now it sort of gets on you. God's speaking to you right here. Listen this. We make such decisions daily in our walk, in our life. Not on Everest with adventures, but watch this. But in homes, we do it all the time. Do we actually make the choice to get along with our brother and sister? Do we actually say, "Mom or Dad, I want well, Mom and Dad just get on me. Surprise them. Clean up. Wash the dishes for Mom the next time she walks in the kitchen. I still got some. Uh, the dishes are clean. I hope that helps. <sighs> Mom will be on the floor now, and you just step over and go into your room. You say, oh, "You're being silly. Can you do something without being asked?" That's what he says right now. The decisions. We regularly face decisions every day. When the parent chooses the best school for children over a career advancing, when a student eats lunch with the neglected kids, we got those at our school, yeah. Gordon said among them next time. When the student eats lunch with the neglected kids rather than the cool ones, when the grown daughter spends her days off sitting with an aging grandmother. When you turn away from your what you want to do to help somebody else because what you're doing right there, if anyone wants to be my follower, Jesus says in John, Matthew 16, 24, he must first deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. So you mean Jesus gave up what he wanted to do to come get me because I was lost. And I'm supposed to give up what I want to do to go help others? There it is. Wow, I never thought of it that way. So the ultimate check on this lost situation if they found me and I was on an island guess what I should do what Christ would want me to do what am I doing a month later I'm finding people lost on an island now you're going to help them down the hall from your bedroom is a person who shares your last name shock that person with kindness something outlandish your homework done with no complaints. A love letter written to your mom for no reason. Well, I can't do that. Want to snatch a day from the? just feeling like you don't contribute or don't belong? Do something just the opposite. Get over yourself. Moses did. One of history's foremost leaders was a very humble man. Mary did when Jesus called her womb His home. She did not boast. She just said, I'm the Lord's servant. Do with me what you want. John the Baptist did. To a blood relative of God, he was the first cousin of Jesus, he said, I'm not worthy to take the shoes off of Jesus. We sang about holy ground tonight. God is showing up and reminding you we need to be like Him. And by the way, last thing, Lincoln Hall survived the trip down Mount Everest. Thanks to Dan Mercer, he lived to be reunited with his wife and his sons in New Zealand. A television reporter asked Lincoln's wife what she thought of the rescuers, the men who surrendered their summit to save her husband's life. She tried to answer, but she couldn't because the words kept sticking in her throat. And after several moments with tear-filled eyes, she said, well, there's one amazing human being right there in those. Those other men had helped him. They're amazing. The world needs more people like that. Maybe there's some people like that right here. Hmm. Let's pray. Jesus, you just told me to tell those who are listening. There's bound to be somebody here. It's just like that prodigal son. He didn't want anything to do with his family. Then he came to his senses and come back home. And the woman swept the floor a dirt floor most likely to find a copper coin that was valuable to her and the sheep that probably climbed over a bank the shepherd went to get or Jesus there's people who go to churches all the time that they think if they've got a softball team that's good that's great if they've got a choir that sings that's fine but Lord all those things don't really matter that much when you said you came to seek and to save while they're well and good you came to seek and to save that which was lost and you give me a story like this tonight it tells me the shepherd didn't sit there with the ninety and nine. He went off to the lost one. The woman didn't count her coins that she still had. She swept the floor and found the lost one. And the prodigal didn't turn and just sit at the house. I had a feeling he looked every day to watch that road to see if the sun was coming because when he saw him that day he ran to meet him. Lord, you're here to meet people tonight and I just pray that they would come to meet you. Some of them are sort of hiding. Some of them don't want to come forward. And some of them don't really want to Admit that they're lost without you. Like her song, I'm lost without you. I pray, Jesus, right now, that they'd come to their senses and say, Wow, that, you're right. Jesus came to seek and to save me. That was His mission to earth, to come to save me. And I'm going to quit running from Him like a John. I'm going to quit hiding from Him like an Adam and Eve. I'm going to come forward and just get things right right now. Again, I just want to close the chapel with your head bowed. Don't look around with your eyes closed. I just do that so you can lock out everything around you. If you're here right now and think, I'm lost, I'm without Jesus, I don't want you to leave unchanged. And He said He'll change you. Matter of fact, we'll make angels sing. See, this is real. This is not a make-believe. This is a Bible that tells you the truth. And I mean, that's the only way we can be. So Jesus has spoken to you. Would you come forward? Would you pray? I'll be glad to pray. Matter of fact, I want to make it as easy as you can, and I won't keep you too long tonight, I promise. Would the counselors uh, come up here at the front, please? Would the counselors come up to the front? And if you've got a prayer need, you might find it easier to pray with someone who's in your cabin, living with you, so to speak, right now. And you might not want to talk to Edgar. You might not want to talk to Uncle Paul. He's a good guy. But if you say, I just seem to pray with somebody I know and in these last few days, I've gotten to know my counselor a little bit. So, not a lot of fanfare tonight. I'm going to keep it very simple. So while you're praying, that's what I'm going to do. Lord, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there's some people in the room that are saved. I pray that I join with their hearts right now. We're going to lift our prayer to heaven because where two or three are gathered together, there you're in the midst. Jesus, the prayer of an effective, the effective prayer of a righteous person just avails so much to the Lord. I pray right now with my fellow believers in this room, we're going to pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. We're going to pray for people that have drifted away. They're lost. They're not on an island. They might not be down a bank, but spiritually they are. They're far away from you. And Jesus, you call them. You're like that shepherd that calls them. Jesus, I pray that you'd prompt them right now to step out and come pray. Pray with a counselor that can give them some answers to their questions. Maybe you think, I've sinned too much. God can't love me. Yes, He can. For God so loved the world that He gave. Well, I'm too scared. I can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, nobody knows about my sin. There is nothing taking you but such as is common to man. See, the Bible's got an answer for whatever you've got an excuse for. I'll do it later. Wow, the rich man walked away sad and no no account is found in the Bible of him coming back later. So please think right now. Think right now. Am I where I need to be with the Lord? Dear Jesus, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. I'll just give you a minute. If something crosses your mind you want to pray, about, please come forward. If not, I'm going to let you go. Counselors, if y'all would just join me just praying at least. Because see, if we join together, we can really accomplish so much. And if you're a believer, you keep praying. You say, Lord, there's got to be people here. And with all these prayers going up to heaven, we're bound to see God work. Jesus, I love you so much I'm not embarrassed to be called a Christian because your name is in my name. When they call me Christian, they're calling me Christ. I proudly have that name. Lord, there's some young people in front of me that have proudly claimed that name too. Jesus, would you please help them to be faithful to you when you still call those people, that just soon stay a little bit away from it. You won't force yourself onto them. But I pray that they would come to their senses, like the young prodigal son did, and finally, I pray that they'd turn to you. What a shame we're at a Bible camp and we don't want to turn our lives over, Lord. It's so much easier when we do. So I pray for those guys. Pray for everybody in this room. You search us. You just put that X-ray machine on spiritually, and you find what needs to be left alone, and what needs to be taken out. Do a work on us even right now. I thank You for being here with us tonight. I feel like we've been in Your presence. In Jesus' name, Amen.